Welcome to the Decoded Podcast presented by GS1 US, where today's thought leaders help us crack the code on emerging technologies. Hello, everyone. I'm Reed Jackson, Senior Director of Corporate Development at GS1 US. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing voice. Our guest for today is John Stein. John is the Executive Director of the Open Voice Network, which is a nonprofit organization. And John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here. Really excited to be speaking with you today, John. This whole voice thing, we can take it in a thousand different directions. And even my kids were like, hey, can I be on the podcast today? Um, We can talk about so much. But before we really get into the topic of voice, can you just share a little bit more about the Open Voice Network, who you are, what you guys do, what your overall mission is? Sure. Let me just give the the high-level overview. And again, hey, listeners, you can go to www.openvoicenetwork.org and get all this information. But bottom line, read very quickly. We're a nonprofit, 503C6 nonprofit industry association, a directed fund affiliated with the Linux Foundation. But what we're about is really two or three things. The first is bringing standards broadly defined right now, bringing standards to the world of voice assistance. A second thing is taking a look at ethical use guidelines, because this whole voice thing, as you and I are going to be talking about, is not only what we necessarily, the words we hear, but there's a whole lot of other things involved there. And then taking a look at the business use cases, you know, where does voice create value? So, nonprofit, independently governed, independently funded, working with the Linux Foundation, the Open Voice Network. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. I know the listeners are very interested in hearing more. So let's get back to voice. Um, You know, voice is sound. Um, We all have our Alexas and our, you know, Siri's and Hey Googles and all those things. And right now for some folks, it's going off in their homes or cars. Um, But we're also still not to where we thought we would be, at least the folks that I speak to and and even myself, you know, you you see the movie Iron Man and he's got Jarvis and he's speaking to Jarvis and it's just so fluid and intuitive. Why aren't we there yet? Or, or will we be there very shortly? You know, there's a number of reasons read why Jarvis, you know, isn't sitting in every home, but will it be long before that happens? You know, is it three, five, seven years? I can tell you that, when you take a look at what's in labs and what people are talking about and developing, the big platforms, the ecosystem, that's where it's headed. But, you know, why aren't we there? And we can look around and say, well, gosh, you know, it plays music for me or it gives me some recipes or tells my kids jokes. But, you know, this is not something I'd spend a whole lot of money on in my business. It's probably three big three big reasons, Reed. You know, I, number one, the technology has to emerge. You know, the technology has to develop. And we're in the early days. You know, people say, well, hell, voice hasn't happened. Well, the Internet hadn't happened in 1993, 94, 95. Very and true. And mobile hadn't really happened when you and I were using our Nokia flip phones. You know, when Star was, Tech, really, it was a Star Tech phone. Let's be yeah. honest. It was the Motorola <laughs> Star Tech. Gotcha. I'm with you. But, you know, that, those were early days and things that happened. We had such things as standards come into play and you can't under you can't underestimate the impact. 
You can't underestimate the impact of an ecosystem that was built and created due to the, you know, the implementation of standards. And then that leads to more innovation and that leads to more development. And you have things that all of a sudden you've got search engines, you've got this and you've got that. And you have in, say, 25 years, the Internet, something that's completely revolutionized society and business. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. The, the standards do help us get to that ubiquitous adoption, right? And that the, the we're huge GS1 US global standard, one global standard, um, and and standards are different for for different things, right? You have technology standards, you have communication standards, you have identification standards, and, and going on. But let, let's talk about this a little bit. So so voice is essentially you know NLP, natural language, natural language processing. Um, but there's a secret sauce to that. And so how do we get around, you know, the developers putting in their time and their intellectual properties? What's the angle there? How, how I mean, or can we still have standards and allow for this secret sauce to, to still take place? Well, I think we can have standards and still have that secret sauce. And, you know, Reed, you take a look at the internet, you take a look at mobility, you take a look at all kinds of technical innovations, heavens, even going back to the width of a railroad gauge, right? Mm. Standards mm -hmm. then create opportunity for commercial differentiation, commercial innovation for secret sauce. Think for a moment about the elements, and I might add artificial intelligence to that NLP. You know, voice okay. today is a combination of NLP and AI. And that combination, the percentage of that combination differs according to what you need to do and, and where you need to go. But if you begin to break down the elements of a, let's call it an independent voice assistant or an independent personal assistant, and you take a look at all those, the proprietary assistants, the new growing classification of open or independent assistants, and what we're finding right now, and, and the way that you develop standards in a place like this, common across a lot of technologies, you find those common components. You find those small pieces that fit into a lot of different places. You know, and our hypothesis, and it's a hypothesis that's been followed previously by a lot of other standards efforts, is if we can begin to identify those components Maybe it's inter, you know, it's interfaces. Maybe it's data going in and out. We're working on that right now, taking a look at it. We'll be able to then create kind of a set of building blocks, and forgive me the trademark people here, but the Lego blocks, if you will, of voice assistance. And you could mm -hmm. read, you could take some of the standard pieces. You could take Google's, you know, natural language understanding. You know, their engines, tremendous, tremendous products. You could start piecing them together in a purpose-built way. And so you have standards which could begin to enable interoperability across platforms. You also set in motion an ecosystem that says, oh, well, I could take that little building block and I could give it some secret sauce, and now that's going to be the best in class for that given capability. You know, that's the kind of thing that sets an industry on fire that sets an industry in motion, that sets an industry toward greater innovation and growth. That's what happened in the internet. That's what's happened in mobility. You know, we want to set that in motion for voice. 
Yeah. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. You mentioned Google and we'll talk about, you know, Apple and Amazon. Um, but before we before we get to that, because I think that's going to get really juicy there. Um, what, what are the primary use cases today that people are leveraging voice? I mean, the, the, the big hitters, the main stakes. You know, the. And this is a great question, Reed. And let's just go back and forth on this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, because most of us understand voice as the smart speaker devices that are in our home. Mm -hmm. you know, they play music. They tell jokes to our kids. You know, we maybe can order something, but most likely not. Mm -hmm. But if we think about where voice assistants separate voice assistants from smart speakers, software hardware. And you realize that voice assistance is now in monthly active use on some 500 million Android slash Google devices, including smartphones. Then you start to realize, oh, this is a whole different world than what I may have understood as the realm of smart speakers. And it's probably three or four big areas of Let's call them enterprise use cases where businesses can create, can make money off this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, one is simply going to be in the operational side. And it's something we've been doing as a society for years, and that is using voice bots in the call center, using right. voice bots to answer people yeah. last questions. You know, you know this, it's a common thing for us. And yet, it's come a long way from the 80s come a and long 90s. Way. And come a, a long lot of way. times. A lot of times today, most people don't even realize that they're actually talking to a software bot when they're on these calls or when they're in a chat. <laughs> and, and we, they don't, you know, we don't know. And indeed, some of the research would suggest that, well, heaven's sakes, I like that better than when I was waiting on a call to talk to a human who may not have had the answer. Right. You know, customer satisfaction is generally higher. With a voice mm -hmm. bot. Now you, again, let's use commerce as examples. Some, you know, an industry we're all familiar with here. You begin to think of not only can it tell, you know, it can tell me the store hours or this and that, but it could also tell me when my order is ready. It could tell me what is available. It could tell me the status of my shipment as we move into greater and greater digital shopping, which demands, which creates questions about when is it coming how will it come? Where do I pick it up and all that? So mm -hmm. kind of the operational side, the efficiency of just voice bots. Um, we're also seeing that. And this is something that's below, you know, kind of below the waterline. Not a lot of people paying attention to it, Reed, is in manufacturing and process manufacturing of now you have, let's say, a connected factory or a connected set of processes that can use voice to give outputs. Hey, there's a problem in this area or there's a problem in this area. Um, I know a fellow who is working on a connected vineyard concept. Let's say the vineyard manager steps into the area, has the smartphone to the ear, connects in, and now the soil is giving him or her a report. You know, we're a little dry wow. over here. You know, it's doable. Yeah. So you're, you're in essence, what you're doing there is you're utilizing 
an IoT environment, sensors, and then, you know, utilizing the sensors as data inputs. And then the person is connecting via their phone or, you know, smart device or of some sorts. And, and the data is then being, um, what's the right way to turn, put, but put into an audible response, um, and be a little bit more intuitive there with providing information back. Data is communicated. Now, you, let's say you have smart buds in your ears, or you're just simply holding the smart device, and you're in a vineyard. Which would you rather do, is simply listen, or trying to tap in information on a smartphone screen to find the application while the sun is over your shoulder and you can't quite see it? Mm-hmm. And perhaps that can be in English, that can be in Spanish, that could be in Russian, whatever is the easiest language for the vineyard manager, for instance. That's, that's amazing. I haven't heard of that example yet. That's really cool. So you think of our input and output in the systems. You know, I, I mean, Reed, I was in, in sales and sales management for a number of years in the technology business. And you say, well, why haven't, hey, salesperson, why haven't you entered the customer data into the system. Well, I was had the meeting, then I had to drive two hours, and then I had this, and then I had that. And I'm, what do you want me to do, John? Type it in while I'm driving? Well, of course not. Right. Well, what if you could simply speak it? So let, let's talk about that real fast, because, you know, not to call out any one vendor, but I've been hearing these advertisements for at least 10 years, at least, of this, you know, digital assistant. You know, as we're driving down the highway, it's, hey, whoever, um, schedule a call for me or cancel my two o'clock or please send a text memo. I can tell you that I have really I've tried and tried. It's gotten a little better with some of the ones I've noticed as of the last year. Um, without saying who they are, but I tell you the other ones, they got so frustrating. It's no, I didn't say that. And the, you know, voice to text was like, oh my gosh, it's safer while I'm driving, but that's not what I said. What are still the challenges? You're so, you're so spot on. And, you know, there's a number of challenges there. One is Unfortunately, and you've seen it, I've seen it, we've all seen it, is the marketing departments run well ahead of the reality. Okay, fair enough. You know, and the hype, <laughs> and, and you know, we've all seen it, and it's painful, and you wish it didn't happen, and the hype cycles go. You know, the hype, the right. hype just goes, and oh, it could do, it could be. Look at this demo. Well, but the reality is that the ability to recognize is continuing to improve. And I, I look in the mirror and say, be patient, John. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be patient. I want it now. I want Jarvis now, but be patient. It, it is coming. It is on its way. And honestly, read the, the fact that we're in the early days, going back to an early part of our conversation, the fact we are in the early days of voice does give us the opportunity to shape the voice experience, the voice ecosystem, the voice industry in ways to, let's say, benefit all parties, lift all mm-hmm. boats, yep. you know, whether you're in a rowboat or a yacht, to lift all boats. And we are in those early days. I wish we didn't have to be patient, but yeah, we have to be. 
Um, and it, much as we were with the Internet, much as we were with mobility, much as we were heavens with mimeograph machines back in the day, you know. Yeah. Is there is it one or two things? Is it a, is it a handful of a lot of things that's holding this back from making this? I mean, we talked about, you know, standards, but, you know, I often take it for granted. I mean, I only speak one language. I have friends that speak three and five languages, and I'm always super impressed by that. And when I travel internationally, I tend to learn, you know, a couple of sentences. But when I think about like just just like the dialects of, you know, India, right, or or, or China or China. Um, and then, you know, it's like I grew up in New York City area. Um, and when I go home, you know, we talk like this a little bit different. But now I live down here in the south and it is different down here, too. You know, it's like it's it's there's a lot that goes on with dialects. Is, is that part of it? Is it compute? It, there's a there's and I think you said it well, Reed. There's an awful lot of a lot. There's an awful lot of a little and awful lot of a lot. And one of the things to this is let's just call it the broad issue of inclusivity and the ability to hear everyone. Now, mm -hmm. I grew up in the Midwest, um, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I speak what some people would call Cincinnati TV announcer. I have that flat <laughs> Midwestern. I don't know if it's, it's an accent. And right. so I'm understood by nearly my most, if not all, voice assistants. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of my friends down in Birmingham, Alabama, don't speak Cincinnati TV announcer. Good friends in Boston, they're wicked smart, but they don't speak Cincinnati TV announcer. Mm -hmm. And so let, then we go around the world you know, I'm working with, a, you know, a, a great new friend, Martin Lenz Fitzgerald in the Netherlands, and he's working on a thing yeah. called Voice Commons. And he's, you know, how many, you know, you and I were, you know, Americans. Well, Dutch is Dutch, right? Oh, no, there's seven, eight, nine, yeah, ten Dutch, different dialects. I think they say Dutch is the hardest language to learn. And each one of these takes a, a data set of significant size to train natural language understanding, to train the mm. algorithms, to train. And it is a, an issue of data sets and a focus upon training and training that is inclusive across all these different dialects and languages. So a little bit of a different question here for you. With, you know, the popularity of voice and society accepting it. I mean, these, these smart speakers are everywhere now. I mean, Amazon has done such a tremendous job of infiltrating our society with these things. And I can tell you that I was against them. And now I really find them helpful in a lot of different ways. And we've hooked up a lot of, you know, um, uh, routines to it and scripts to it and connected things and try stuff. And, you know, the wife and the kids and everybody loves it. Do you think that there's a possibility because of the adoption and the use, people will will change the way they do things? I mean, I know that when I travel, I, I kind of start to naturally get the accent of the local place that I'm working in um, or visiting. Do you think that there's an opportunity that society might actually reduce all of our dialects so that we can get more adoption of of some of this voice solutions faster? Does my question make sense to you? It's 
question makes a lot of sense, Reed, and the answer is, gosh, that's making me think in a whole different ways. I do think that voice, the voice assistance and the ubiquity of voice assistance, because not only, and Amazon's done a tremendous job with smart speakers, but voice assistance in smartphones, voice assistance in automobiles. And you know, there are more voice assistants on phones and automobiles than there are smart speakers. So mm-hmm. it's all it's all around us. And now you add it into refrigerators and remote controls for televisions and a, this and that and whatever else. It is going to be ubiquitous, ambient, everywhere. We'll speak to our world. Yeah. But what all does right. that mean? What does that mean in terms of behavior? One, I think it's going to increase our impatience. Mm. Um, if ease and convenience is the current number one value proposition across all kinds of industries, I want it and I want it now. I'm not going to wait. Where waiting too long on the Internet is measured in milliseconds, voice only can speed that up. So that's one thing. A second is just the ease of access. Now, are we there yet? No. Have we reached Jarvis yet? No. Are we, you know, impatient about that? Of course we are. But if just to say yes, you know, Reed, you're a retailer. Would you like to have a reorder of last week's orders plus probably a six pack of beer because the Giants are going to be playing this weekend? You're going to have a party. Yes. Right. Just to say yes. Ship it to my yeah. home. Thanks. Put it on my bill. Thanks. So the ease and convenience and speed. And then if we have to, if I have to sound more intelligent than a standard Midwesterner to speak to my device and get that, I might do so. Yeah, it would be funny if we all started talking like robots so that the robot could understand us easier. Hey, Google, send me things. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll that'd be funny. All right, well, let, let's move on, man. I'm just looking at the clock and I'm like, man, there are still so many things I want to get to. But real fast, if you can touch upon it, is there anything that's top of mind for you as you see, like, this is a couple years down the road, but work is already going into it and it's going to blow people's minds on use cases. You blew my mind with the vineyard use case. I hadn't even thought of that, but that would be super cool if I put on my earbuds in the morning and I'm walking around the facility and it says, hey, in the you know this area of the vineyard, we need a lot more water. But in this area, it's like, buddy, we're, we're, we're drowning over here. We're, we're not thirsty anymore. We're bloated. That's really cool. Are there any other use cases you see coming down the pipeline? I think we're going to see a real expansion. IoT AI, and then voice interface. You know, I have some friends who are futurists. They actually do that for a living, an amazing thing they do. And one of them said, you know, John, in the future, all AIs will be conversational. Wherever you have artificial intelligence, the input and output will be voice. It will be the easiest way. So you take sensors, you take AI, you take machine learning, and now you put voice to it. Endless, endless things in front of us there. And so in systems, in manufacturing, in vineyards, voice input and output into data analysis um, is going to be a whole area. The second, which I think is going to be absolutely fascinating, 
And, you know, you see it with the potential of Amazon Prime, you see it with the potential of Walmart Plus is going to be in, in the commerce industry, is going to be from the kitchen replenishment. Now you have a, a talkative brain, a talkative friend there in your kitchen, helping you with recipes, helping you with ideas, telling you the time, playing you the music, maybe giving you some YouTube videos or whatever else. And now you just say, you know, gosh, I'm a little short on milk or what wine should we have? And now ordering in a click of a second, replenishment and taking this whole digital grocery thing that's happening and putting it on steroids. Yeah. So that, that is a big focus area for us here at GS1 US, especially the team that I'm on in, in corp dev slash innovation, a lot of digital commerce. Um, grocery is a huge part of where we focus. I mean, we're the issuing body for global trade identification numbers, your GTINs, you know, yeah, your, your center of that. Yeah. And so we're always working on the physical and digital worlds and your digital twins. So let's just talk a little bit more about that. It, you know, I am, I've seen it already. Um, I was at CES back in January of 2020 before everything changed in the globe. And it was super exciting and super cool. And I came home and actually implemented a lot of voice uh, commanding IOT type solutions. So, you know, turn on the lights, turn on the TV, start the car, you know, all these types of things that I saw, I'm like, let me try them out. Let me see how easy or, and some of them were, were like, wow, they were game changing and it worked great. And others I'm like, eh, this really doesn't work. But my concern about the, the replenishment is how does the voice know what I really want to replenish? Right? So like say milk, is it going to give me Welsh Farms milk or is it going to give me Kroger milk or is it going to give me Acme milk or, you know, who makes the decision on the milk? Is it 1%, 2%, you know, skim milk, um, ultra fat? Uh, like, where does it get the intelligence to do that and who owns that? It's a huge, it's the question, Reed, and you couldn't have said it any better. Now, there is, you know, Reed, you've got a digital twin. We all have digital twins, and we know that because there's this assortment. There's this actually, it's a huge pile of data that we that exists about our behaviors. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in your home, maybe you guys drink one percent, and you prefer from a certain brand. Well, there's there's mm -hmm. a knowledge about that. So again, talking about natural language processing understanding and artificial intelligence, the two come together. The data around Reed's family, and, and let's say you have your own AI and your own ownership of your own data, one of the issues that comes into play, then there is a context that says for milk, this family wants 1% from, let's say, Kroger, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's known. And so perhaps based upon that data ownership and that context, history, preferences, interests, needs, when it's time for replenishing milk, which may be identified by either the last time you purchase it or the, you know, the days between your regular purchases. So every five days, the, you know, Reed's family buys milk. Hmm, it's the fourth day. Maybe it's time. 
or sensors in your refrigerator, possible. You know, so it's IoT, it's sensors, it's data, it's artificial intelligence, and it's voice speaking to you, asking questions back to the AI, and then listening for your desires. However, now, you know, this is the setup, but still, read your questions of who owns the data, what is shipped to me, all that we've got to figure out because right now it's probably largely dependent upon the platform you use and whether mm -hmm. you are explicitly saying, take me to X retailer or saying, gosh, it's time to order milk. Yeah. I'll tell you, and in today's day and age, um, you know, the, the average consumer, the person home, everyone's aware that they're being, um, you know, their data is being sold and monetized. And, it, it, you know, there's a couple of big players out there that are doing it all. Uh, I often ask people, I'm like, which which smart device in your house do you think collects the most data on you? And people say, oh, the smart speaker, the Alexa or, you know, my Roomba or something. I'm like, actually, it's your TV. Your smart TVs are collecting more data than anything. And it's 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 pretty overwhelming, you know, what they collect. But this, this is my question back to you. And maybe we don't have an answer today. And, and I understand that. But I know that you guys are looking at privacy and you're, and you're, you're, you know, looking at other things. But when I think of like IoT, I can tell you like, Justin, we have a great room, you know, it's not, not a big house. We're, we're very blessed with it. We got, you know, five people in this place and we have a kitchen that rolls into a living room and a dining room that hangs off of it. And there's an Alexa in the kitchen. There's one in the TV. There's um, a smart speaker um, uh, that's there as well. Because sometimes these things have just accumulated over the years, right? Like, sure, sure. I win one. Somebody got one as a gift. And, you know, some of these things are really great. And they're like 25 bucks. But now it's like, okay, there's there's six speakers. I mean... Back in the day, you'd have one wireless device in your house. Now you have 65, 70, 100. So now I see, you know, today and then in two or three years, you're not going to have one or two speakers in your house. You're going to have five, 15, 20, 35 speakers that are listening in. I mean, our cell phones are listening in. Your coffee maker may be listening in. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or something attached to that. So. That, that's where my brain starts to like blue screen. It's like, how do you even deal with navigating that traffic and who's really listening and who's over listening? And then, you know, how does the commerce work, um, you know, for that? Are you guys having conversations at that level today? You know, and we are. And the conversations are difficult because they're extraordinarily complex. They and are. you begin to, and you know, you start with, a person talking to an assistant and, you know, you begin to write on the whiteboard things that what, you know, privacy, of course, you go to mm -hmm. GDPR, of course, you go to CCPA, mm -hmm. you go to NIST, you look at all, you know, there's this marvelous um, library of, of literature on digital privacy. So you study all that, but then you begin looking at, oh my goodness, okay, now, what are the elements of privacy when it comes to using your voice to communicate with a machine? Where does, and it's 
So the subcomponents of privacy is that data and data ownership, consent that I give you the right to use my data. Is it claiming data from others? You know, I, my digital right. twin is all over the world. How do I kind of pull it back and claim it? So it's parsing it down back to our, you know, our process on components interoperability. We're trying to find those core pieces, those core concepts. And then how do we apply them to not just the basics, but read, as you said, you know, here's your standard U.S. home with 50, 60, 70 devices and any more coming in. They're all listening. They're all pinging. They're this, they're that. How does privacy, data ownership, explicit consent, how does all that work? Um, and that's, we have a work group on that right now, and that work group has a lot of work behind it and a lot of work in front of it still. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, we're, we're seeing right now, um, we've been working with a lot of, um, you know, online markets and without getting into any specifics on, you know, which ones, but there's a lot of fake products that are being sold out there. Right. So we have a verified by GS one, um, offering. So it, it verifies that the product is who we say it is. And it's, you know, this is their global trade identification number. And we're seeing a lot of other online markets requiring that, right? Uh, requiring, a, you know, a, a standard of identification to be utilized, right? Because there's, a, I mean, Nike was having big problems on certain markets. And so were Birkenstock and, and, and others that are out there. So, do you see this problem continuing or being um, or being corrected as we move to voice commerce? Right. Uh, it, and it's it's a great question. And it's an issue right now in voice commerce. And that is we don't have right now, unlike a G10, which is registered and everyone knows this G10 refers to this product, this company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera according right. to the many different data fields. There is no registry for destinations in voice. And an example of that was just the number of skills and actions that appeared in the voice world offering um, health advice as the COVID-19 pandemic began to appear. Now, some of those skills and actions were from very reputable places, you know, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, you know, right. Mount Sinai, et cetera. But others, you know, there's been an awful lot of, forgive me, nonsense about how do you address, you know, COVID-19 and or gain immunity to it. Right. And, you know, one of the platforms just basically shut all the skills and actions down because there was no way of, of, if you will, guaranteeing or giving confidence to the user that this was um, appropriate, this was real, this was not, if you will, fake or counterfeit. And so this issue is a huge issue in voice. Yeah, you, you bring up such a good point. I wasn't even really thinking of it that way, but I, I think of my, my youngest son 
and he's still in grammar school and, you know, he'll be doing his homework and every now and then he'll struggle with something and he'll be like, Alexa, how do you spell this? Or what's the answer to this? And I'm like, oh, you little cheater. I was like, you know, you got to work around this. You got to work through the work, like learn how to work through the work. And now it has me thinking of sometimes it's great and it's a benefit. It's like a calculator, right? As long as you can understand the foundations of math, you know, now now utilize this. And and the Internet is it, 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 it's such a great thing and, and it brings bad things. But that's the yin and yang of the world, right? That's the universe. Without good, there's not bad. Without bad, there's not good. Light and day, hot and cold, all those types of things. But this is my one question of it. When I do a search on the Internet. I get feedback and I'm seeing like, oh, OK, this came from this source. This came from that source. And, you know, I might want to take a different browser or DuckDuckGo or something else and do it. But when I ask when I ask one of these voice smart speakers, I don't have control over the back end. And so, you, you know, or maybe I could maybe there is some and I'm just not aware of it of, you know, I want to know the answer of this only from this location. So maybe it's just I just need to advance myself in how I ask. Well, to a degree, you need to advance, you know, you want to advance yourself and you need to make your requests more explicit. I'm mm. searching for medical information on this form of, let's say, unfortunately, cancer. And I want to access the experts at the Mayo Clinic. OK, right. But, you know, that's a long and difficult command for any voice assistant. What we see as a real need and it's an opportunity and it's something we're studying right now is how do you create a, a global registry, almost a domain name system, a voice registry system for voice destinations? If I want to reach Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, I need to be able to do that, if you will, directly and with an explicit request to be connected into, say, Mayo. Mayo, please tell me about, you know, the following treatments for cancer or whatever the question may be and not have the chance, the fear, the danger of someone has even claimed Mayo Clinic's name, which could happen, you know, to a degree right. or just present themselves as a medical advisor. So this is a critical part of standardization. You know, internet didn't happen really without URLs, right? Destinations. We know we are, you know, you are on the Mayo Clinic website. This is a trusted source. Well, right now we don't have that in voice. We right. have registries within given platforms, but we don't have something that's global and certainly accepted wherever you go. One of the challenges for us, and it gets back to that question of authenticity that you raise, the authenticity of products, the authenticity of providers, the authenticity of those who provide products. We need assurance as a society for that to happen. One of the things we're working on. Well, that's amazing. And John, I'm just catching the time here and I'm being reminded we could go on for hours. I still like I have so much more I want to talk to you about. So I think we might have to have another another episode. But before we close up, is is there anything, you know, that that you just want to get out there that we haven't talked about yet? Just one last little tidbit, uh, a hope for the future or something to educate anybody. Any, any last words you want to leave? Reed, thanks. And thanks for this opportunity. It's been a delight. And I'm just looked at my watch. I didn't realize how fast the time went. 
a couple things for the listeners. Um, voice, and here's our hypothesis that's really behind the Open Voice Network. Voice is going to be a tremendous enterprise tool and a tool for societal development and value when it can be trusted. And our key phrase is the Open Voice Network is here to make voice worthy of user trust. You can trust it to hear you. You can trust it to go where you need to go. You can trust it as a tool for business, for creating, for creating value, worthy of user trust. So, Reed, I invite people to catch us on Twitter at, at OpenVoiceNet and on the web at www.openvoicenetwork.com. Um, love to hear feedback. Love to hear criticism. It's the best way we learn. But it's been a pleasure to talk. Well, I can't thank you enough. I mean, I wish we had a lot more time, but we'll try to get you back on to talk more about this and, and some other things. And so, John, thank you for making the time today and dropping so much knowledge on us. I'm truly inspired. Uh, I I commend you and your team because you're going after a, a Herculean task. I mean, there's so much in it. You put it so well before of just how vast there the challenges are and, and the, the considerations. There's just, you know, so much to this. But I want to thank all of our listeners for, for tuning in today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us five stars. And if you didn't, tell us why. Uh, we're always open to feedback. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. And we'll be back with more Decoded um, and, and finding out from today's thought leaders how they're cracking the code on technologies. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate it. Have a great day.